It's been a long week, hasn't it? You don't even know how long a week it's been yet. When we left here last Sunday, Moses was a little boy. Three, four years old at the most. We're back a week later. Moses is 40 years old. And it all occurred within that blank space between the end of verse 10 and the beginning of verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2. And all that we know about that is what Stephen said, what's recorded in Acts chapter 7. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Forty years are summed up in that sentence. Forty years. A third of Moses' life. And then, Stephen says, the next words from Stephen, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And that's where we pick up the story again this morning from Exodus 2, chapters 11 to 25. In that story, in this portion of that story, what we learn is that Moses had to flee Egypt for Midian, where he became a shepherd, a husband, and a father. And from that, I want to make this point. And hopefully we'll tie it together. God is working out his eternal plan according to his own timetable, not yours or mine. And you see that in the first place, this is Roman numeral one, you see that in the first place in Moses' Egyptian experience. Read with me. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is now. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So Moses came out. For Jesus, he had been a closet Hebrew growing up in Pharaoh's household. But the day came when he had to come out for Jesus. And it cost him. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward.
<clears throat> Understand, he was the grandson of Pharaoh. He would have inherited those treasures of Egypt as he enjoyed all of its pleasures. But he identified with God's people, his brothers. That word looked on, uh, that, those two words looked on, one word in Hebrew, means more than simply viewing or seeing. It, it means to see things with feeling, with emotions, feeling either of satisfaction or, as in this case, with distress. It means being moved by what you see. And so he identifies with the Hebrews, God's people. A quick word here, just from out of the blue, and then we'll move on. You and I need to come out as well for Jesus. There will come a point. There will come a number of points, I suspect, in your Christian walk in mine, when we simply must identify with Jesus and with his people in our homes, in in our work, in school, dating. Boy, maybe there more than any place else. There's going to be that time, that place when we have to take a stand for Jesus. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You just write the rest of it down in your book. Moses came out for Jesus. But he did it immaturely and prematurely. It was a noble impulse taking pity on the Hebrew, but it was a wrong act, killing the Egyptian, which he did neither in self-defense nor as an act of a just war, nor as an official act of the state in capital punishment. He just killed him, and it was wrong, and it was sinful. Someone has said, you can't do the Lord's work in the world's way. And yet we try it all the time, don't we? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It wasn't Moses' work to do. And as a result of this wrong act of Moses, he had to flee from Egypt for his life. And he forfeited everything that he had built up over the past 36 years or so. Do you see God's invisible hand on Moses? Do you see it? And in his immaturity, his impetuosity, showing those things to Moses, holding them up in front of him. Do you see God's hand on Moses in Moses' rejection? Now, it's no surprise that the Egyptians rejected him, uh, you know, for, for not being an Egyptian, for coming out as a Hebrew, they hated the Hebrews. That's no surprise at all. The surprise is that his Hebrews' brothers rejected him as well. Who made you a prince and judge over us? 
Now here's what you can make book on. This ain't the last time <laughs> that the Hebrews are going to reject Moses. It's, it's a preview of coming attraction. So, Stephen says of that whole encounter, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they didn't understand. Acts 7, 25. See, God hadn't called him yet to deliver the Hebrews. That doesn't come to the next chapter, in chapter 3. And here's Moses immaturely and prematurely trying to force the issue. And so, God sent him to Midian to live among others of Abraham's children, descendants. Midian was the son of Abraham by Keturah, the wife he died, who he married after Sarah died. These are Semites living all over the desert east of, uh, of Egypt. And, and they were, it was a people group more than a place. They, they were nomads, and so we went round up with them. And so the second place where you see God working out his eternal plan in Moses' life is, in, is there in Moses' Midian experience. Read along. Verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The word Gershom sounds like the Hebrew for sojourner. Where had he been a sojourner? It says in a foreign land, but the foreign land isn't Midian. I believe the foreign land there is Egypt. I mean, he lived in Egypt as neither Hebrew nor Egyptian. He's growing up in Pharaoh's house, but he knows full well that he's a Hebrew. You say, how did he know that? If you're from South Louisiana, you know how he knew that. His mama raised him in the first three years and then sent him over to Pharaoh's house. But you better believe there was contact. And so he went to his mama and else, you know. Over the years, he'd go to his mama and else. If you're not from South Louisiana, ask someone. Uh, so that's how he knew he was a Hebrew. And yet, yet he wasn't a Hebrew. They couldn't identify with him. He might identify with them. They were slaves. They were sweating. They were working hard. And he lived the life of Riley. 
couldn't identify with him. And he couldn't identify really with them. He tried. He's like the guy in the Civil War. You remember that story? There's this guy in the Civil War. And he wants to walk between the lines. He wants to be a peacemaker and bring everybody together. How best to do that? So he puts on Confederate pants and a Union jacket. And he walks out between the two lines. You know what happens? They both shot at him. <laughs> and that's what the Hebrews and, and, and the Egyptians were doing Moses. You know, he was neither fish nor fowl, he was neither here nor there. He'd been a sojourner. And when he comes among these people, other Semites, and he marries, and he has a son, he's accepted, he's received. He looks back on Egypt and said, I was a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses, obviously, when he gets among the Midians, lacks maturity he lacks spiritual maturity. He lacks yes, emotional maturity. Things which come primarily through time and experience. So God gives him another 40 years with the Midianites. And those 40 years pass between, well, that passage we just read. From verse 16 to verse 22 covers 40 years. The next 40 years of, of, of Moses' life. God makes him a husband, a father, a shepherd. And he gives him a father-in-law whose name is Ruel, which means friend of El. El is Hebrew for God. Friend of God. And a lot we can say about that, but we'll hold that till we get to chapter 18 and Maybe Josh will be preaching from Exodus 18. I wanted to go into all that. But anyway, about Ruel the father. So what else? I mean, he gains a wife. He gains a father-in-law. He gains children, actually. He gains an occupation. What else does he gain through all that? Well, the first thing is he Humility, which he sorely needed, and which is, I guess, the primary characteristic needed in a leader of God's people, which makes it, you can't believe how horribly difficult to stand up in front of a group and talk about it. But if we're honest, every one of us needs to go before God and does go before God and we confess our pride at some point about something. Don't you? We confess our pride. Do you pray for humility? Do you pray for humility without crossing your fingers? Do you know how you get humility? It's like you get patience. It's horrible. It's humiliating. Why they call it humility. Would you let me jump over? I do. I pray, Lord, forgive my pride. Kind of leave it there, you know, most of the time, if I'm honest with you. 
I suspect this lack of humility is the main reason that God moved Moses to Midian to live among a group of nomadic shepherds and makes him a shepherd. This man who grew up among Egypt's ruling class. Do you remember when, when Jacob and his whole crew come into Egypt the first time? They're moving into Egypt. And, and Joseph, when they get there, Joseph shuffles them off to Goshen. I mean, that's not even the suburbs. It is the backside of nowhere. And he does so in the 46th chapter, the 34th verse of Genesis, because he says in that verse, every shepherd, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. They hated, they looked down on shepherds more than they did the slaves. Uh, I think it worked. Because you get to the third chapter and, and you read that God comes to Moses or Moses comes to God, they meet at the burning bush. And God gives Moses the call to go deliver his people. He commissions him. And Moses responds who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This man who 40 years earlier had attempted by his own hands to deliver Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh. So evidently he learned humility, but there was another thing he needed to learn. And that was a responsibility. I mean, he, was, he grew up in Pharaoh's household. He grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wanted for nothing. He didn't have to do much of anything. He needed responsibility. Do you want to teach your kids responsibility? This is not an easy way, but it's an effective way. You buy them a pet that they have so charge of you give them the pet, you explain about feeding, about drink, about bathroom, about washing, about everything that has to do with that pet. You don't touch that pet, and you do absolutely nothing in the life of that pet, whatever it might be. If the pet dies, maybe next time they'll be more responsible. I mean, it's hard-hearted and harsh. But how else are you going to do it? And maybe, just maybe, they'll get it before the pet dies that he's got to eat every day and needs water and, you know. And before you kill him for letting the pet mess all over the house, they'll figure out, you know, we got to take him outside and walk him or whatever you do. So God brings Moses to me. What did he do? He gives him a flock of sheep. <laughs> Makes him so charge of the sheep. And for 40 years, he's taking care of those sheep. Being equipped. Learning how to shepherd God's flock. 
So, at this point, we have come in two weeks, two-thirds of the way through the life of Moses. He's 80 years old. That quick. That quick. Here's the thing. We've come two-thirds of the way through Moses' life. We're not even to the main part of the story yet, are we? Or are we? You remember the point? God is working out his sovereign plan, his eternal plan, according to his time. Not Moses, not yours, not mine, his. See? And you see that third working out in what's been going on in Egypt and heaven all this time while Moses has been in Midian. Read with me. Verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Back in Egypt... Pharaoh has died. And the door is open for Moses to return. But the Hebrews are not one whit better off. Perhaps they're in worse shape than ever. Because the new Pharaoh is no improvement. And so they groan. And they cry out for help which will shortly be forthcoming. Had they cried out before? No record of it in Exodus, at least not in the first two chapters. They hadn't up to this point. Meanwhile, in heaven, while they're groaning and crying out, In heaven, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And what did God do? God heard. Had he not heard before? What was there to hear? Maybe they had never cried out before. There's no record of it. And God saw Surely he saw their plight, but equally surely wasn't the first time. And God knew. But then he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything there is to know. But this is more than knowing facts. It's more than knowing about. It's knowing them. Owning them as his own people. A relational knowing of God for his people and an interest in them, an emotional feeling, attachment to them. And God remembered. Not that the slaves were, that the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. He knew that. He remembered his covenant. 
the covenant that he made with Abraham, guaranteeing them that after 400 years of bondage, he would deliver them, the descendants of Abraham, out of that bondage. That he would be their God, that they would be his people. If God remembers that covenant, how much more will he remember the other covenant? Do you remember on that first covenant when he makes it with Abraham? We call it cutting a covenant. Because he took these animals and they cut them in half and they made two rows of half carcasses and lays them open. And you know what happened? Remember? God passes between the two rows of the animals, guaranteeing the fulfillment of the covenant. And Abraham doesn't. Ordinarily, it would have been two people, the two parties to the covenant would pass through, saying, and, and if we don't keep this covenant, this is what will happen to us, to one or the other. God does it all by himself. We live under a new covenant. A covenant made in Jesus Christ. We can't keep that covenant. And we prove it day in and day out. We break it, we break it, we break it. We fail, we fail. But Jesus died to fulfill that covenant, to guarantee it. We have failed. He has paid the price. You get it? How much more will God remember the covenant in his son's blood? See, God hadn't forgotten Israel. He hadn't forgotten his covenant just one time. Now 400 years are coming up. And he had decreed 400 years. Remember Galatians? Remember what you've read in Galatians chapter 4? When you know, before we came to know Christ, Paul says, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son to redeem those who were under the law. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's good news. That's the gospel truth. And that's what Moses in this whole story points us to, doesn't it? I mean, the whole book of Exodus is going to take us there. 
to our deliverance, to our liberty, to our freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something that has to be added quickly. Paul adds it in the very next verse. When you did not know God, you were enslaved, every one of you and me were enslaved. We were in bondage to sin, to godlessness. We were lost. We were dead in trespass and sin. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you once a lot more that needs to be said about that, but it won't be said this morning. Because I've come to the conclusion. And let me just conclude with this. Four things you need to remember. You need to memorize. You need to practice. You need to just bring with you today and keep with you if you're in Christ. God hears. God hears. You. He hears you. Whether you think so or not, He does. God sees you. Whether you think so or not, God knows. Your circumstances, past, present, future, whether you need so or not. And God remembers His covenant to deliver His people from their bondage and make them His forever. Here's the point. One last time. You remember this too. As you look at your life, as you live your life, with its ups and downs and joys and tragedies and everything in between, God is working out His eternal plan according to His timetable. Not yours. Not mine. Not the world's. Yes. Let's pray. Our God and Savior, our Heavenly Father, how we rejoice in you that you are a loving and saving 
reconciling God who loved us to such a degree that you sent your Son to be our Savior, to redeem us from our sin, to deliver us forever from our bondage to sin, to the world and the things of the world, to the false gods of this world, to the wiles of the devil. You have set us free and delivered us. And now, O oh God, we pray, enable us to live within that freedom to your glory and praise. For Jesus' sake, amen.